Hello and welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, the podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it, brought to you by Brightsmith. I'm your host, Jenny Gladman, and for this fourth season, I'll be interviewing leaders, forward thinkers, and entrepreneurs from around the world to explore the opportunities, challenges, and rewards of working in clean tech, and more specifically within hydrogen. We'll be hearing from individuals with very different focuses within hydrogen, but with one clear goal of how we can fuel a cleaner, greener future. In addition, they'll be offering you some tokens of wisdom to enlighten, engage, and inspire everyone to live their purpose every single day. So today's guest has had a super interesting career, most of which has been around the energy sector with the likes of Ovo, Alton, and most recently founding Octopus Hydrogen. Octopus Hydrogen deliver green hydrogen to the sectors which can't be decarbonized with batteries alone. So aviation, heavy duty road vehicles, they're establishing a decentralized production of green hydrogen via electrolysis co-located with renewable energy generation to help balance the power grid. And for those of you who don't work in the sector, I will let Will demystify that for you shortly. So um, before that, it is my great pleasure to welcome Will Rowe, CEO of Octopus Hydrogen, to Conversations in Clean Tech. Welcome, Will. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks for having me and great intro. Thank you. Um, And before we go into Octopus Hydrogen and and who you are and what you're all about, um, it would be great to hear a little bit of your story. Who are you inside and outside of work? Yeah, brilliant. So I guess first and foremost, I'm a a father of three, um, which keeps me busy. So, you know, when we're looking at starting a business and I I guess I did that post being a parent. So it's always been an interesting balance trying to sort of handle parenting and entrepreneurship, but something that I definitely think is possible and and good fun. Um, I also think it helps you sort of build a company around certain things you value, which um, maybe, you know, is, is a positive, but it certainly helps you think of certain cultural things as well, you know potentially trying to get rid of some of the kind of collegial things that you might have liked when you were younger in your sort of career. Um, And outside of being a father and uh, running Octopus Hydrogen, my main interests are anything that involves high adrenaline sport wearing a helmet. So (laughs) that's my main activity. (laughs) So staying safe for the kids. Yeah, I'm not not optimised for that yet. (laughs) I just pay for good life insurance. A similar discussion around motorbikes in our house fairly often. So thank you for that. Um, and actually, it's, it's a topic that comes up loads on this pod is balancing that family life and work life. And we have more and more people showing it's possible. So it's always great to know as someone who's just starting out on that journey myself. Moving on to octopus hydrogen. Um, so can you give us the top line? I know I um, gave that in the, the very short opener, but I think for those of our listeners who don't work in hydrogen or even perhaps don't work in clean tech, if you can give the... Um, the layman's version and then perhaps go into a bit more detail yeah so you did a great job but just to sort of reiterate what we do so effectively we build green hydrogen production facilities co-located with wind and solar assets we don't get involved with the build of those wind and solar assets so we partner with other you know renewables developers and there's a lot in that space who do a great job and um, what we do is sort of work with them who are going through the kind of planning permitting and development process for that asset and we say cool we're going to add green hydrogen onto this project 
Typically, we focus on projects where they're kind of grid scale and where there's some sort of issue with the export of the power. So whether it be kind of curtailment or whether um, it's a marginal business case and so adding hydrogen on might help, you know. So, you know, look, we also work with ones where it, it would work otherwise, but they're, they're typically there's a lot of factors that play in to make hydrogen appealing. And we try and do that across across the country at the moment, so across the UK. Um, typically, you know, you've got wind projects in Scotland, you've got solar projects in the south, and then you have some projects in the middle, but there's not an awful lot of onshore wind in the in the in England at the moment, which is a challenge. Um, and then what we do is we focus on kind of two key applications. So we allow other people to come and collect hydrogen from our production sites, or we deliver the hydrogen all the way through to the end application. So, you know, whether that be someone who wants to run an auxiliary power unit, you know, so i.e. they want a diesel gen set that's clean, you know, using hydrogen instead of diesel, that sort of thing we focus on, or HDVs, and like you say, you know, as as commercialization of low carbon flight starts to occur you know we'll work in that sector so really any kind of application where um, you need hydrogen delivered is something what we'll look at much clearer than the way i explained it <laughs> no i think the, the, the co-location is always a buzzword because there's kind of two concepts of co-location in hydrogen you've got co-location with the end application or co-location with the generation asset and some businesses build co-location with all of that you know like i think christian protein touched on their model which is kind of they do all of it together but you know there's, there's also the other two ends of it and so i guess we, we'd like to be clear we're not looking to be building big projects say at a refinery we're looking to deliver hydrogen to people and produce it where it was cheaper which makes sense and actually i wanted to touch on the name so i think um obviously octopus everybody knows octopus energy a lot of people know octopus ev there's lots of subsidiaries and i actually wrongly assumed you were a subsidiary rather um, than having octopus energy as a as a core investor can you give people a bit of insight into that relationship and also how octopus hydrogen was born yeah so we we started about 18 months ago so april 21 um, but before that so just a little bit of history so i spent a long time at ovo um when it first started i was actually the eighth employee there and then did a little interim bit of time in the city which was great but then was mainly yeah really enjoyed my time at ovo because i guess ultimately ovo's premise was around cleaner greener simpler and those are all things i think are you know very sensible things to focus on in an energy transition and, and what we should all be doing but i'd met greg when i was at ovo when he was at a different business and we kept in touch when he was starting octopus and then a couple of years into octopus running you know we myself and julius both left ovo to start a business and we actually spent a lot of time working on um what was a 24 7 carbon free energy supply business using behind the meter batteries which we still like as a business model we probably like it more now than we did back when we were working on it um but the challenge with it was there was a change in regulations that meant that if you did stuff behind the meter you could no longer get the benefits like commercially that you used to be able to get called the targeted charging review so that kind of killed that business so we went back to the drawing board this is about 2019 by this point after spending a year of our life working on a business that didn't happen and we said look we, we need to think of another idea we went to Greg and said, we haven't got a good idea, but we think we could run an incubator with you to find a good idea. Um, and Greg said, yeah, great idea. Let's call it the hatchery. So we called it Octopus uh, Energy Hatchery. Um, and then effectively, a year later, we hatched our first business, which was the hydrogen business. Um, actually, it's a funny story. So one of our co-founders, Ben Eaton, who's a friend of mine, had texted me and said, have you seen this hydrogen thing? It's really cool. You should have a look. <laughs> so, so we kind of went, great, we've hatched this idea, which is hydrogen. And then we liked it so much that we kind of went all in on that. And we've effectively now left the hatchery dormant and we now 100% focused on the hydrogen business. 
And I absolutely love that name, the octopus hatchery. Yeah, the idea was to to spawn lots of little ones, but we ended up landing on hydrogen and we're like, okay, this is actually quite big. So, you know, it's it's quite good. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things that served its purpose, right? Sometimes you have these ideas and they spin out 10 things that don't work or sometimes you have them and they spin out one thing and it's amazing. So I think what really made us want to double down on hydrogen was as we started to look at it more and more, it just became apparent to us that, you know, we believe in that there's going to be a lot more renewables built um, and things like, you know, good scale batteries or smart control of EVs or smart control of heat pumps, you know, all make a massive sense in terms of having this flexible demand that's going to live with the intermittent nature of the abundance of cheap renewables when they're there. But you need something else. And so it was really obvious to us that actually hydrogen is that kind of missing piece of the puzzle, which is if you're, you know, pro lots of renewables, you also need to be pro green hydrogen because it just means that you've got kind of a place to put spare electrons at times. So that's what we've been focusing on. Okay, great. And I think that leads us nicely onto something we've talked about before, the kind of decentralised culture and autonomy for people and how that links to the octopus hydrogen ethos and business. Yeah, it's something we're really passionate about. So I guess I've been lucky to work at a number of different businesses and with different entrepreneurs within that. And one of the things that I realised was, you know, I think I've always performed best in a, a world where, you know, you're relatively autonomous, but you're aligned to something that's kind of bigger than yourself and you can focus on rather than, you know, being micromanaged or having very heavy internal process. And so I guess one of the things we've always wanted to do with Octopus Hydrogen is kind of have very much have a culture that's pro decentralized decision making, low bureaucracy, low, you know, internal process that creates friction. Because what we've seen and what I've seen is that those things are what kind of drive good people out of businesses. And so what we wanted to do is really focus on saying, we really, really believe that it's not a case of, you know, there's a there's a, a fit, for pro, fit for purpose kind of startup style culture. And then there's a, as your business grows, it needs to change and become like the businesses lots of people leave. We believe that you can do it all the way through. And I must admit, like, it's great having an investor like Octopus because, you know, Greg really believes that as well. And so it just makes it easy to sort of have that cultural conversation. They 100% buy into it. We buy into it. And so I guess what we like to think of it as is we hire good people. We've hired people who are really passionate about the mission, which is typically to do with sustainability. And it's really good because they're kind of like our internal barometer of are we always doing the right things, which is a really kind of nice metric to have. You know, it's not top down. We want to be green. It's very much like it's it's top down, bottom up. It's everywhere. You know, everyone wants to focus on the right things. And then we say, look, there's loads of great opportunities in the green hydrogen space. Let's focus on what we can do well right now. But if someone has a great idea or, you know, we, we think we can do things better. It's very much a case of the, the business decides that. It's not kind of this top-down, you know, micromanaged or process-heavy, you know, sign-offs and committees. It's very much like, yeah, great. You know, people can tackle all sorts of problems. And I, I like to think if you asked any employee, they'd feel like that. Good. Um, and actually thinking about the employees and the culture, one of the things we've talked about is when you grow the business, how you maintain that culture. And obviously you were there with Ovo from the start, how do you feel like you're kind of setting yourself apart from the other hydrogen startups? Yeah, so I guess, look, I mean, in terms of how other hydrogen startups have run, there'll be all sorts of different business models, et cetera, both like commercial business models and product business models, and then in terms of internal culture. I guess what I like to think of is what I think we're really good at is a lot of us come from a software background. And, you know, with software, there's certain benefits, which is typically moving quickly, agility. There's also this kind of very obvious piece outside of software which is the world of physical engineering which is typically you know safety related quite heavily regulated you know construction and all these sort of things so you can't just you know 
apply software culture to building big infrastructure projects and assume it's going to be a perfect marriage. You know, so there's a bit to think about there. But I think what we try and do is maintain our core principles, which is, you know, we want to be able to be agile. We want to make sure that people feel empowered. And so, you know, when we're thinking engineering projects, we try not to say, for example, okay, well, you know, let's define some internal sign-off process with 65 people involved who, you know, never seen the project. Let's make sure everyone who's involved with the project goes and visits the site, make sure everyone is bought in. You know, there's no blockers or documentation required for sign-off. You know, if we need to have a call about something, we jump on a call and talk about it and hopefully make the decision quickly. And hopefully that means that, you know, we can take a project from idea to completion in sort of 18 months rather than it being five years, which often is in big infrastructure projects. And are your projects kind of more modular, um, kind of cookie cutter type projects, or are they really, really different across the board? Yeah, so it's, it's a really good question. So I think we like to use nuclear as an example, and actually a, a lot of our engineering team come from a nuclear background. And when it first came around in the 60s, it was a great kind of you know potential option to decarbonize our energy system. And the reality is what it's not really done is really got down to a cost perspective that's allowed it to become ubiquitous everywhere because it's still, you know, over £100 a megawatt hour. So to put that into context, it's basically double two and a half, three times the price of onshore wind in the UK. So although it's available all the time, it is very expensive. So it, it doesn't necessarily make sense to double down your whole energy system on nuclear. And the reason why nuclear is really expensive is because it's never been modularized. You build these massive 10-year build you know each one bespoke kind of projects and and so what we really believe is that actually no what you need to do is take the solar panel analogy and say let's produce something that can be replicated multiple times and then the learning rates quicker and we can do it more and more times and so we're trying to design our projects to kind of benefit from that we're saying we want to take containers that have electrolyzers in them and containers have compressors in them. And whether it's five megawatts, 10 megawatts, 20 megawatts of kind of electrolysis, we just, you know, we do the same sybils at site and then we deploy this modular system. And in theory, we could do that anywhere in the world within a, you know, a six month turnaround post delivery of equipment. That's really what we're trying to focus on. And we believe that will, you know, benefit the macro hydrogen system because it brings cost down through volume in terms of, you know, consistent manufacturing. And it also lets us deliver projects quickly. So it's very much something we focus on. And I think where you are putting those things at renewable sites, actually delivering hydrogen projects tends to be much faster than delivering wind or solar. So even if you're late to the party, you can still make the finish line before them. Well, like onshore wind is like a seven year process, I think, in the UK and solar's three. Or it might be the way around, but, you know, they're both very long duration kind of things to get through planning permitting and, and eventually you know good connection etc and you know if, if it's seven years to get hydrogen projects over the ground we're never going to get anywhere near net zero you know so what we need is to have a system and there's lots of people working on these bigger projects that might take seven years but you know they're in the kind of thousands of megawatts you know gigawatt scale that's fine if you're in the kind of tens to hundreds of megawatts and it's going to be 2028 20, before you go live we're a bit like oh, come on you know we need to be going quicker than that yeah i think so and you actually touched on something around the team talking about their approach to sustainability. I think one thing we see over and over again is this kind of greenwashing. Um, and we've sort of talked about how that is fundamentally not how you operate and you've considered sustainability in all aspects of the business. But can you kind of explain that to, to the sceptics out there? Yeah, so I think hydrogen, and I, I think I'd say rightly, 
comes under some scrutiny, which is effectively, you know, is it a fossil fuel related scam is the kind of narrative that floats around, i.e., you know, 99% of the hydrogen that's currently used in the world is is produced directly from fossil fuels with no form of carbon capture or storage. So actually, you know, hydrogen in and of itself right now is a climate change problem, not a solution. And it's really like important to sort of remember that when you're thinking of building a business in the hydrogen space. So the fear, I think, for a lot of people is, well, are the oil and gas companies just going to kind of talk about green hydrogen, but actually pump loads of fossil fuel related hydrogen out into the system and actually net net, you know, it's just maintaining old business models that are fossil fuel dependent. And I think there's, you know, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of risk in that and a lot of potential greenwashing and a lot of people who call it out. So it was very important to us to kind of say, OK, we need to focus exclusively on green hydrogen, both because it's what we believe in as people and what we know is needed for net zero. And it's also where our strength is. You know, we are good at taking intermittent renewables, using technology to help solve that problem and delivering projects that, you know, benefit applications downstream that people care about being green. That's kind of, you know, Octopus's flavor and our flavor as a business. So for us, that kind of made sense. And so avoiding the greenwashing, you know, when you're doing that is really easy because, you know, where is the problem? <laughs> Where is the problem? You know, you say we take renewables that when they're generating and electricity is abundant, we're going to produce hydrogen. When they're not generating and it's not abundant, we're not going to produce hydrogen. And then we use that hydrogen for things that are not going to be decarbonized for electrification. Like it's a super simple kind of proposition, I think. And another aspect of your business that I think people perhaps don't know about is the software piece um, and how that can actually help other organizations. You touched on the excess electrons there. Can you explain that? in a bit more detail yeah so the thing to remember with green hydrogen is effectively 70 to 80 percent of the cost of green hydrogen is the cost of the electricity that was used to produce it so the capital requirement of the equipment is relatively modest in the overall cost of a green hydrogen molecule relative to the cost of the electricity so the trick is is to source and, and use cheap green electricity so that's why these kind of export heavy projects that you might see so you know you see projects getting announced in places around the tropics effectively where there's high solar radiance and or Australia where there's high wind and solar, that those sort of projects are really saying, well, there's a very low cost of uh, renewable electricity with a very high capacity factor in this region. Therefore, we believe we can produce it. But typically, the problem is they're a long way from a demand center. So then you've got to look at how do you transport the hydrogen? And so our kind of hypothesis, those projects may well be viable. They may not. Depends who you believe and let's see where it goes. But what we are very clear on is the UK is going to build a lot more renewables, as is the rest of Europe and North America. And when I say a lot, I mean, we're going to go from offshore wind capacity of, you know, in the low low single digit, maybe just about double digit gigawatts to 50 gigawatts by 2040, I think the target. So, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, we're going to have so much additional ele- electrons on the grid. And there's capacity issues of getting those electrons from, say, Scotland down to England, et cetera. So there's a whole piece there that fits together. And so for us, building software that really allows electrolysis to, to be part of that ecosystem and say, well, look, there is green electrons abundant right now, and we need to be able to get those and prove we got those, because it's really important to prove you did get them, both from a, a commercial perspective, i.e. you get subsidies if you do qualify for them, which is important, but also just to, you know, avoiding greenwashing. So we've been building that software that it kind of says, you know, electrolyzer or electrolyzer site or you know thing that needs hydrogen is going to be able to run and take that hydrogen when those electrons are available and demonstrate it did so rather than saying you know someone has to go to the site press a button yeah run now for 15 minutes and turn off for 15 minutes you know because that's a dynamic process as well and so what we're not saying is it's impossible to run electrolyzers without 
using software in some very large industrial plants. I'm sure we'll do it in, a, you know, in certain ways at the moment. But what we believe is over time, the trend towards intermittent renewables being needed to, to produce green hydrogen is the macro trend. And that's a global trend. And that's what we've been building software to kind of support and will allow all the developers to benefit from some of those cost savings that we see. And I think it's a, a great position when you're thinking about that on a scale of not just you, but the other developers out there and making sure that the whole ecosystem is working together. Um, and considering that from a perspective of just the energy transition as an entirety, where do you kind of see yourself fitting into that and, and how does it feel to be a part of it? So I guess we, we would hope that we can deliver the software globally. So for us, you know, look, we, we when we started the business, you know, our business plan was we're, we're going to operate 20% of the world's electrolyzers. And then you kind of look at it and go, okay, that's actually quite an ambitious target. You know, how many are going to be state funded? You know, And then you go, okay, maybe, maybe we're not going to get to do that. You know, I still think we can do a decent number of the world's electrolyzers, but I'm not sure we'll have such a huge market share. I think it'll probably be relatively broken down. But then you think, okay, but all those electrolyzers need green electrons. And can our software help with that? Well, yes, it can. So I guess it's our way of still believing that we can play a really big global role. And I also think we can, you know, be involved with whether that be through ownership, whether that be through development, whether that be through operating lots and lots of electrolyzers globally. But I think the software piece is a really easy way to imagine that kind of become scalable. And the beauty of it is, you know, by by using the software we've been developing, it kind of guarantees there's no greenwashing. So the nice thing is it's kind of like it's both something we feel that will deliver benefits to those projects and commercials, but it also kind of um, is what we need for net zero. So it's kind of a nice win-win, really. And speaking of the commercial side of things, it is the commercial viability that stands in the way of a lot of green hydrogen projects at the moment. So how have you tackled this as a business? Yeah, so as I was saying, obviously, a big part of the, the cost structure of green hydrogen is the cost of electricity. And so obviously, recently, what we've seen is, you know, natural gas prices have gone up. And unfortunately, in the UK, the way the cost of electricity is defined is it says, take the um, the last kilowatt hour it was needed to make the system happy on a given settlement period, which is half an hour. And what was the price of that? And then that's effectively the way the price is set. And unfortunately, that's always set almost always set in the UK by natural gas prices. So what we see is this huge increase in consumer bills and business, business rates and business bills is due to the natural gas prices. It's nothing to do with renewables. But the problem is even if renewables are there, they can't offset that difference because of the way the mechanism works. And so the challenge you have is green hydrogen prices have gone up because of the cost of um, natural gas going up. But the cost of all the other kind of fuels that are derived from natural gas and natural gas itself has gone up. And projects where you can source electrons that do not have any link to natural gas, so let's say not just grid grid electricity, but private wired and or corporate PPA on you know other mechanisms that might work, that cost of green hydrogen has remained relatively static. So what we're seeing now is you know when we started the business two years ago, um, grey hydrogen or fossil fuel derived hydrogen, or say using natural gas, was much much cheaper than using green hydrogen, probably kind of somewhere between a third and a quarter of the cost. Now, with natural gas prices where they are today, green hydrogen is already cost competitive with grey hydrogen. Now, whether natural gas prices stay where they are for the next 20 years is unclear. But the point being, like, we are already in a world where renewable electricity is, cheap, is the cheapest form of generation and conversion through electrolysis, although 
somewhat inefficient on a round trip basis can deliver a molecule that's cheaper than the fossil derived version and it also benefits energy security etc so we kind of see it as the the green premium isn't really there so much now and it's really about sort of saying we need to scale up and we need to be focusing on making sure that we're not using those green electrons for things that don't well those green molecules made from green electrons the things that don't make sense because then it'll really struggle to be cost competitive but focus on the ones where it's kind of a no-brainer I think it's all heading in the right direction. It's just a, a question of time and scale. Yeah, and look, you know, the UK's got a target on that and you're seeing hydrogen strategies all around the world. So I think there's more and more kind of awareness that that's the kind of challenge. And I'm an optimist and believe in both humans' ability to solve our problems and our appetite to do so. And, and you know, you look at any of the kind of transitions from an energy perspective that happened, they, they always come from a blend of convenience, cost, and a number of other factors, you know, improvements in life, et cetera. And, and green is going to do all of those things. You know, it's already cheaper for the majority of use cases in at an electricity level anyway. You know, the benefits of clean air and not having large thermal plants, et cetera, are very obvious. The benefits of a decentralized electricity system are already there. You know, it means that we don't have to have these kind of huge things that have to turn on and off. You know, we, we get the benefits of batteries and smart EV charging. So the whole thing starting to tick all those boxes, which is it's, it, will, it will be more convenient, cleaner, cheaper. And that's what ultimately will, will create that kind of full holistic transition to a, a renewable centric economy. Fantastic. And I wanted to find out a bit more about that entering into a, a brand new ecosystem. And I think that's what we have to call it in this space, because actually for any startup to work you need to have partners um, and you've got some brilliant partners so can you um, tell our listeners a bit about who those partners are what that means to you how you've been accepted into this world and and also I guess hopefully that inspires some other startups or kind of potential founders to see that there is a, a great merit and support network in in this area. Yeah I must say going into a sustainability focused business is always easier because people are much more willing to give you a bit of time, advice, be nice to you, right? If you go in and try and start a, the best options trading platform in the world in finance, I'm not sure you get many friends coming to, to, to be nice to you about it. Um, I think what what we found was we, we did want to be vertically integrated, but that was because we wanted to make sure we delivered to help what customers needed as a like one point of contact. We didn't want to leave them with a value chain that was kind of fragmented and difficult because that's always been the challenge with hydrogen today. You know, people talk about this chicken and egg and all that sort of stuff. And we're like, look, the only way we're going to solve any of that is to say, we will deliver you what you need, where you need it. So we need to be responsible for that. But the reality is that doesn't make sense, therefore, to build every single element of the business underneath that. So things like logistics, you know, we are not experts in having people driving trucks around and all of the related activities that are required to deliver hydrogen. So we partner with that. We are not experts in um, producing equipment, you know, from a safety and a certification and a performance and a maintenance perspective. So we partner across all of those. So what we really try to do is say, what we focus on is we're good at customer experience, building software, and taking some risk. I think we're quite good at that and moving quickly and developing sites. That's what we're good at. Let's focus on those and let's partner everything around that that supports that. So I guess that's, it's a very conscious strategy for us and we don't want to kind of creep into the bits we don't want to do. Um, and I guess you could argue there's similar examples in, in other areas. So, you know, in the world of batteries, for example, or grid scale batteries, often what happens is you get kind of like pure play developer and they want to kind of sell projects on. And I guess what we're seeing is actually, if you look where kind of 
energy was before the kind of most recent changes. It typically was that kind of more vertically integrated kind of full stack kind of approach that was needed. And so that's where we're seeing it. And, you know, you'll have seen it with other businesses in the hydrogen space as well. And also, I think it's um, having sustainability at your core is not replicating what someone else has already done or can probably do better. It's making sure that your energy and resources go on things that are going to differentiate you as opposed to doing what somebody else already did. Yeah, it's a good point. I guess I've never really thought of it like that. But like you say, there's no point us all doing the same business, trying to solve this problem. And it's actually a reason why we started Hydrogen, not just because we thought it was an interesting sector, but because... You know, you know, we a lot of us had a background in electricity, but if we'd have gone in and said we're going to start a, a battery optimization business, there's already some great businesses doing that, and I'm not sure what we'd have added to the table other than just trying to outcompete them. So, you know, hydrogen was nice for us, and you know, we've always been passionate about electrification of transport. But I was like, well, there's some great businesses doing kind of you know bus options with batteries or doing smart EV charging. You know, look at Octopus's portfolio; they've got loads of great stuff in all that space. I was like, so, you know, whereas hydrogen was this kind of nice clean <laughs> green renewable electricity related business where there wasn't many people doing what, what kind of we thought was what the market needed so it kind of felt like a nice clean opportunity for us and it's obviously paying off and i think you're i guess not even two years in and having some great success can you share some of the wins that you've had so far yes i think by the time this goes out we should have made our first deliveries of green hydrogen to customers which is super exciting and they'll definitely be on social media because <laughs> it's one of our favorite things to do put stuff on social i think we do that it's funny just to mention that like the reason why we do a lot on social is, is i think what we find is people kind of like to see hydrogen actually happening so they find it quite exciting because you know like i don't know about you but you see a big hgv on the motorway and you realize like how big and heavy and dirty it is you know and you're doing your bit by eating you know more conscious on your food choices or driving an ev or you know thinking about not flying and you think i'm sitting next to this massive hgv on the motorway and you sort of think oh god what's the point and so demonstrating that we have got solutions coming along to these problems and like you know stay with your lifestyle changes you're making because we've got solutions to the industrial grade stuff that people don't necessarily feel like they can really change like that's why we try and do it to try and help people remain inspired on the, the transition that there's lots of companies trying to solve these problems and it's not just like you know you've done your three or four things you can do and then that's the end of what can happen you know we have got more to come i guess as a society um and then the other thing is the big one for us is working on getting our production sites live so you know we've had a, a few challenges recently with one of our, our first production site but that'll be live early 23 um and then the big one for us is focusing on kind of like the next phase of production sites so what we've learned is building a one megawatt production site so you know like kind of like three or four hundred kilos a day of hydrogen is really the same effort, not the same cost, but the same effort as building a, a you know a two or three thousand kilo a day site. So we're now really focusing our efforts on building kind of what's needed for the future, as opposed to what's easiest to do today. Because engineering effort wise and business effort wise, it's the same. And so all we need to do is have more capital, and we can do those bigger projects. And the market needs the hydrogen. So for us, it's kind of a no brainer to kind of spend our effort on the size of project that makes the most sense. Um, and speaking of your growth in the future, um, I know you're around 25 people already, but that's going to need to grow to be able to deliver these projects. So if you're if you have your one minute to speak to your future employees who may be listening, what would you say? Well, I think if, if you're motivated by sustainability or working in clean tech, A, I think it's a great sector, regardless of your work for us. But <laughs> and then the specific flavor we add on top is I think what we're really good at is empowering people. So I guess 
we we really believe in you know i think greg gives a really good analogy right which is he says um he views building a company as a dry stone wall not as a brick wall and the example being a dry stone wall is shaped around lots of different shapes stones and sizes i.e people and it can endure for hundreds of years in very harsh environments and it doesn't need any cement to hold it in place so what you're kind of doing is you know enabling each thing to have its own merits based on what it is, is what you're kind of saying. And we believe that that in a people perspective within the business. Whereas a brick wall kind of tries to uniformly place the same things and then uses cement, which effectively I see as kind of like middle management, et cetera, holding it all together, you know, internal process and middle management. And I guess, look, if you if you want to work in a dry stone wall, that's us. If you're going to work in a brick wall, there's lots of great companies that would do that. I say great, but, that, that, you know, that's what they do. So we really double down on that dry stone wall analogy. That's what we're good at. And that's where the type of employees I think we would, you know, will flourish at our place and enjoy working there. And less so, you know, the process heavy, heavily kind of formalized job descriptions, et cetera, et cetera, because that's not what we nail. That definitely wasn't the answer I was expecting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I quite like the analogy. So I thought I'd use it. I do. The the one minute elevator pitch. Do you want to become a wall? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah 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 maybe maybe less war related and think of the shapes piece but yeah and I was I was also thinking because I guess one of the things I've been thinking about is like advice to people who are thinking of like entrepreneurship as well in the clean tech space and uh, one of the things I I realized is you don't need to be in a mad rush so although net zero is kind of like really pressing and an important issue you know I wanted to start a business and so did Julius like one of my co-founders from 10 years ago, we wanted to start a business and it took us 10 years to, to work out what we wanted to do. But we worked somewhere great that was sustained, you know, sustainability focused in between and got some great experience, built some great contacts, built some credibility. So I suppose the key thing for me is make sure that, you know, if you think of it as you want a journey and you want to grow and learn yourself, just make sure that that journey is kind of going to be shaping you to the person you want to be and, you'll learn, and, you, and you're still true to your values. Because if I'd have worked for 10 years against something that I didn't care about or wasn't passionate about, it probably wouldn't have worked for me. And and so kind of doing that was really important. And the other one I think it's really important is try and find an idea that motivates you for a long time because you work just as hard if you're working on a really small idea or a really big idea. There's only so many hours you can work on any given problem. So make sure it's one that kind of you think will inspire you for a long time as opposed to one that just kind of caught your interest for a short period of time. And maybe taking some time to establish what that is is important. But those are kind of the key things I've kind of taken away from my career. Um, and speaking of co-founders, I think that's the other thing that people often don't have on tap. Um, and there's actually some awesome institutions, companies, charities who are working to support the sector. Um, in fact, on the next season of um, Conversations in Clean Tech, we're going to feature Carbon 13, who actually bring together groups of co-founders. So um, there are there are plenty of others out there, but they're an amazing one where actually if you're if you're a lone wolf, but you don't want to be a lone wolf starting a business, which I think most people don't, um, then have a look at those sorts of things that actually bring you together with the missing piece of your puzzle, you know, be that the finance, be that the tech, be that the the operations. Um, and actually, through um, a bit of rejigging around who does what, you can, um, you can get an amazing team of co-founders together and then build your idea there. Yeah, and I think I couldn't express how strongly I believe having co-founders, you know, working with people makes it better. Not not just, you know, as you grow, you know, you you have more people who can do different things and et cetera. But it's also just, you know, that check and balance as you're going through, which is you don't, you've, you've got someone else to run ideas by, 
to sort of decide whether you you want you know if, if three or four of you want to commit your life to something it's a lot more obvious that you think it's going to succeed than if one of you does right so there's definitely you know and you get a diversity of skills it just the whole thing for me makes complete sense and i think what's interesting is you know like i i try and take on the role of kind kind of being like our brand ambassador and doing the public speaking side of things and and so people want to know my story more than say the co-founder stories but that's not to say they're not just as valuable if not more important within the business it's just someone's got to do what i do which is talk about it to help you know make employees want to come and work with us to to, to tell our story to make sure we have a brand that's recognized and it's, but it's working out you know find co-founders where you want to do one thing and they want to do other things and making sure that that fits right if you all want to go out and share about your story all day then you're probably not going to be the perfect set of co-founders you know if you all want to sit there doing financial models or you all want to you know source and build equipment you know you need a blend of the skill sets i think yeah, absolutely. I think we're very fortunate. I have two co-founders and neither of them have any interest in doing what I do. So it works. It works very well. Um, and I also think there's a beauty in having co-founders for those days when you need someone to, to give you a clip around the ear and tell you it's going to be fine because you sometimes can get lost in the detail and frantic because something didn't quite go to plan. But it's that seeing the bigger picture and sometimes that's easier to do as a collective than on your own. 100%. And I also think ultimately, you know, why are you doing it, right? I don't know about you, but for me, enjoying the journey, both in terms of being able to have a good work-life balance and being able to build a company that I'm proud of with people that I like was why I wanted to be an entrepreneur as much as the difference we'd make to what would happen at the end if we were successful, both in terms of our impact to climate change and financial outcomes, etc. So, you know, co-founders make that better, you know, people to work with and building a great team is what makes all those things more enjoyable and more possible, right? You know, so I think it's, it's a bit of a no-brainer for me, really. Um, and brings me on to my last question. So kind of looking forward for you, for the co-founders, for the team, for the for the whole business, what's what's on the horizon? Yeah, so I guess we've always, one of the things that we've realised is we sometimes you know, you define a, a kind of mission that you're trying to work on and then you're kind of having an entrepreneurial spirit. You keep finding new ideas that you really want to work on within that. And, and you know, my 24-7 carbon-free electricity supply using grid-scale batteries or behind-the-meter batteries is something I'm still super passionate about, but we're not going to start that business as much as I love it. Um, but I think what we really need to do right now is we've got, we've got a great software platform and we've got a great capability to deliver on our kind of project development and hydrogen supply. So we need to double down and actually be relatively focused for the next couple of years and get those things done. We also need to keep an eye on where is the market going globally because what we don't want to do is, you know, just have our heads down and deliver what we need to deliver and not see where we're going. And there's a real hard balance that because, you know, I, I'm always looking at new things that are exciting and want to do. And we need to execute as a business, both to kind of build credibility, to have the capital to do what's needed next. And also just to kind of actually add some value to net zero, right? If you keep just looking at what you could be doing, you're not actually doing any work that delivers carbon savings anywhere. So I think sort of short to medium term, it's focused on execution. Longer term, it's a case of, getting ready for our next big phase of growth, which is going to be internationalizing kind of both ends of the, the platform, you know, the tech platform and the developer platform and making sure that we can kind of tackle the big the big projects that are needed um, globally and, and rolling out what we do well. Fantastic. Well, we wish you every success. Um, and thank you for coming on today and sharing your story and the Octopus Hydrogen story. I think there's a lot of listeners out there that will be very interested to know what you have done, but also to follow your progress in the future. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to Conversations in Clean Tech, brought to you by Brightsmith. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others to find the show. For more information on how Brightsmith can help you to build a sustainable future through identifying, attracting, and retaining diverse talent, please head over to brightsmithgroup.com. Join us next time for more conversations in clean tech.